Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and at the moment, the incredibly sweaty. <laughs> yes, we, we like our weather update. One word, <laughs> hot. <laughs> Two words, sweaty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Ben... We normally do our update on our TQM Tulpa project to make Sherlock Holmes real at the end of the episode. We do. But there has been a really weird development this week. Now, you've teased me about this, but I've no idea what it is. Yeah, so I'm going to cover it at the top of the show because it just kind of blew me away. Now, as regular listeners will know, we launched our project three weeks ago to try and create a Tulpa with the idea of turning the fictional character of Sherlock Holmes into something real. Is that a good way of describing yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> now, Ben and I have had a couple of weird coincidences. Uh, Ben's smelt tobacco, not tobacco, but pipe tobacco, in fact. Pipe tobacco, um, yeah. and, and I've had people reference things they wouldn't normally reference. Yeah. yeah, listeners have been sending in their experiences. We've had a couple this week, but I'm going to save those for another episode because something's come through which just blew me away. Well, a friend of mine sent me a strange message this week saying that the day after we published that episode about Sherlock Holmes, so a couple of weeks ago, her 11-year-old daughter randomly said, Mum, Sherlock Holmes was a real person, a real detective. Okay. Now, my friend told her daughter, no, Sherlock is a fictional character, but her daughter was having none of it. Since then, her 11-year-old has kept insisting that Sherlock Holmes is real. And the 11-year-old hasn't heard our show. Exactly, yeah. Now, that was my first thought. I thought, well, my friend's daughter may have listened to the episode or maybe heard her mother talking about it. My friend insists that isn't the case. Okay. Her daughter's not heard it and doesn't know anything about it. Not only that... She checked, have you been doing Sherlock Holmes at school? Or oh, study? yeah, I was going to ask that, yeah. No, nothing like that. It's just random, and the, the her daughter has just kind of said, no, I just, it's just the thought I've had that Sherlock Holmes is real. Now, it's not only the case that her daughter hadn't heard the episode. What's even weirder is that my friend only contacted me this week, on Wednesday this week, and she said, look, I've been completely behind on your episode. She does listen to the podcast, but she only listened to the Tolpa Project, the episode we did to try and make Sherlock Holmes real, this week, on Wednesday. But her daughter mentioned it the day after we published it. Yes. Whoa. Whoa. So, so my friend said when she listened to that episode, she was a bit freaked out because her daughter has been insisting Sherlock is real for two weeks before my friend even <laughs> knew what we were doing. Oh, my God. We have remote projected Sherlock Holmes. That's so weird, isn't it? It is. Now, does she get anything more from her daughter as to why she believes this? No, she said, uh, I've, only, I've only kind of exchanged texts with her so far. She said it's completely random, but her daughter won't let it go. So they've been arguing about it for weeks now. And a daughter just at random occasion says, no, Sherlock Holmes is definitely a real person. I wonder. I mean, <clears throat> could could it be that she's seen something? I don't know. She's only just 11. Mm. And um, like I said, my friend had no idea that we'd done the episode on Sherlock Holmes and the Tulpa until this week. And this has been going on for at least two weeks before that. Okay, that's proper odd. Uh, it's proper odd. I'm actually going to see her, um, my friend, later tonight. So I may have more of an update next week. If but... you haven't got a deer stalker and a cape, yeah, I could, I could really freak them oh, out. That would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> Arrive with my pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Told you it was real. But I, I was, I was saying, what if the daughter asked me, "Is Sherlock Holmes a real person? How am I going to explain that away?" <laughs> um, I mean, in I've got to say no, haven't I? You've got to say no, but to some people, yes, yes, and that's what we've been trying to achieve. Wow. That is pretty weird, though, isn't it? That is weird. I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, if I get more detail, I'll update us all 
next week. We're going to need some theme tune for Sherlock News. Yeah, that's true. We're going to, yeah, well, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on some, <laughs> it's got to be violin based, doesn't it? Which could be oh, difficult. Oh, it has, yeah. yeah. Well, that freaked me out and it certainly freaked my friend out. And I would say, out of everything that's happened so far on the TQM Tulpa projects, that's probably the biggest one we've had, right? I think so. And it happened to someone who didn't even know that they were doing existed. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on. Um, ben, did you see the story, which is one of my favourite stories of the week, about a satanic bus? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would definitely have remembered that. <laughs> well, there is a Polish sea resort called Hell, spelt H-E-L. Mm-hmm. And after complaints from residents, the bus company has been forced to change the number of the bus that runs there. Ben, can you guess what the number of the bus was for the route that takes you to hell? 666? Yes. Was it really? You are right. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get a bus, or if you wanted to get a bus to the Polish seaside resort of hell, you would need to have jumped on the 666 bus. Someone was really having a laugh. Yeah, I think so. And after 10 years campaigning by residents, the bus company has finally now changed the bus's number to 669. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm with you. They must have, when they kind of said, look, our town's called hell, we'll make the bus 666. It must have been deliberate, right? I would have thought so. Yeah. I would have thought so. Which kind of leads me on. I don't want to talk about buses today. Um, I want to focus on ghost trains. Oh, brilliant. Ah, so I'm assuming you mean Phantom Trains rather than the fairground ride. Correct. Not the ones you get at amusement parks. Though I know we both love the story of Cloggy. Oh, Cloggy, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to remember who it was. Yeah, yeah. Cloggy, yeah. So Cloggy, uh, for those who don't know, we've done it before, but Cloggy was the operator of the ghost train at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Uh, and, but when he passed away, he has been seen as a ghost in the ghost train and the theory is he still likes to scare people and give them the scariest ride they can even after his death oh good on him yeah so it's not that kind of ghost train and it's not the type avid train spotters will also know about i didn't know about this either um ghost trains train spotters regard ghost trains also known as parliamentary trains These are near-deserted trains that generally run on obscure and remote train lines in the UK. So they're real trains, but they just travel with nobody on them because the routes are just either not in use or it's a mechanism for trying to keep the tracks clean and healthy in case they want to reopen that line at some other point. Oh, I see. So you have to be quite an avid train spotter to know about these, apparently, and often you can't even buy tickets to go on them but i'm not talking about those either but i thought in case there are some train spotters out there who are going well ghost train is not actually quite you know you know that's good knowledge that's good knowledge it's good knowledge i'm going to focus as you said on haunting trains railways and stations hurrah yes i do love a good phantom train they're sort of um in cartoons and stuff they're almost as ubiquitous as ghost ships they are. There, there are a lot of similarities with ghost ships, I think. And there's something, I don't know, there's something, unlike a ghost ship, the thing that always weirds me out about them and makes them really interesting is because a train line is such a fixed piece of infrastructure, the fact that you've got these sightings on these kind of fixed pieces of infrastructure and if you manage to board one, you can't get off. I just think is really interesting and spooky. Mm. I guess the most famous ghost train is that of the funeral train that carried Abraham Lincoln after his death. Have you heard about no, this? No. It's amazing. So after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, two bodies, one containing the president the other containing the exhumed remains of his son, Willie, who died, I think, a few months earlier, were transported from Washington to Illinois in a steam locomotive to get them to their final resting place. On the day, the route was lined with mourners wanting to pay their last respects to Abraham Lincoln. The funeral train had nine cars. The president and his son's bodies were in the ninth car. Now, since that day... 
Albany area rail workers have reported seeing the ghost of Lincoln's funeral train travelling down the tracks around the time of the anniversary of this final journey. Oh. So this generally what happens is, and I think it still happens today, on April 27th, paranormal enthusiasts still can be seen lining the tracks, hoping to get a glimpse of this spooky locomotive. Oh, fair enough. Now, there are loads of stories about sightings of the ghost train. It has been covered quite a lot on other podcasts. I know Astonishing Legends, I think, did a really good episode on it, so you can check those out. If you want to know more about the stories, do a Google. Some are really good, especially from the railway workers who've seen them. There's some incredible tales. But in summary, they include people seeing glowing locomotives passing by that look exactly like the... It was quite... We'll put pictures up on the YouTube version of the podcast and on our social media because it's quite a distinctive-looking thing. I don't know if it was created specifically as this funeral train or if it was adapted, but it's certainly a kind of distinct-looking train. So this is why people have spotted it. There are other accounts which are just really bizarre that people have seen a funeral band made of skeletons in one of the carriages playing as it goes oh, past. Oh, no way. <laughs> How amazing would that, that be? That is so Scooby-Doo. Yeah, playing a funeral kind of dirge as the train passes. Wow. Watches and clocks are said to stop and when this thing's been seen, and time slips have also been reported which I think is fascinating. So it's... uh, The other thing that struck me about it is the amount of paranormal activity that's connected to Abraham Lincoln. Now, we we covered people seeing his ghost, I think. Lots of people seeing his ghost, including Winston Churchill. Oh, that's right, yes. Who was naked out of the bath when he saw the ghost of Abraham Lincoln and that great line of uh, something like, uh, Sir, you have me at a disadvantage. That's right, yes. yes. Um, So many people have seen Abraham Lincoln's ghost in the White House. We also covered a story you did a while back back on Doppelgangers where Abe saw his own doppelganger in a mirror. Oh, yeah, yeah. It did make me wonder about Abraham Lincoln, because if if we harp it back to Sherlock Holmes and the Tulpa Project, somebody with that gravitas and that fame and that impact on modern, certainly Western culture, and especially in America, I wonder if there's some Tulpa-like activity going on with Abe Lincoln. That certainly makes sense, particularly as he's got such a unique look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... And, by the way, my favourite Abe Lincoln is the um, Electric Six oh, video. What's that? The Electric Six gay bar. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, remarkable video. Yeah, that's very uh, And fun. lots of Abe Lincoln tulpas. But, yeah. um, no, that would make sense, actually. That would. And perhaps that's how he saw his doppelganger. Perhaps his doppelganger was a tulpa. Yeah, tulpa that he'd created himself. That's something... That's mm. quite bizarre, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to see a ghost train that had a band of skeletons playing <laughs> playing a train oh, as certainly it goes would. past. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? The witness for that, is that is this sort of just hearsay or is there actually somebody that has stepped forward and said, I definitely saw this? I did, I did read a whole story about it. Uh, it was a railway worker who reported seeing it on the anniversary of uh, when the train first ran um and claimed to have seen this kind of almost glowing locomotive with all the carriages going past and then just as one of them went past he just saw this band of skeletons playing a funeral march that's amazing yeah yeah well from america let's move across the border to canada and a haunted locomotive known as the st louis ghost train of Sask. Saskatchewan. I can always. It's one of those words. Isn't it's it? a really odd word to say, and and when you hear a local say it, it seems natural. But when yeah. you try and reproduce it, it, Saskatchewan, it's hard. Yeah. Well, when I was kind of rehearsing saying it half an hour before we recorded, I got it perfect every time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So let's talk about the St. Louis ghost train of Saskatchewan. There we go. Now, this ghost train seems more a case of seeing spooky lights rather than the full apparition of a whole train that we had in the previous story. But there is some interesting things about it. Sightings seem to start in the 1920s and do continue to this day. The sightings generally consist of people seeing strange lights floating on or near the side of an abandoned railway track in the town of St. Louis in Canada. Lights vary in size and colour. Generally, they're either white or red, the most reported. The lights appear to either take the form of the front line of a train travelling along the now non-existent track, or a floating lantern is seen. Ah, yeah. That that sounds familiar. <clears throat> Excuse me, that floating lantern thing. Again, that's Scooby-Doo. And I think um, I've seen YouTube videos of people who sort of say the first thing they see is either the, the lantern at the front or the, or the, the, the um, I can't remember what you call it, but the guard's carriage. Yes, yeah, light. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people have also reported. I always think of, I'm assuming what this is like, I always think of those old locomotives with a big massive almost headlight on the front people yes, have seen that yes that's what i think of yes what was really interesting about this story is um reports suggest that people have seen this in their cars while they've been at the side of where this rail track used to be and all kinds of strange phenomena has been associated with it very similar to those associated with ufo cases oh really yeah they include windscreen wipers turning on and off, headlights of the cars going on and off, car engines cutting out. There was even a report of a car alternator catching fire and people having to abandon their car as this train lights were seen. Weird. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, the UFO thing, because actually the whole story is not... These are lights. These are not a whole train or a whole carriage. I mean, there may be some reports of that, but generally people report seeing strange lights. And when you kind of go, well, hold on, there's strange lights and there's this car activity that ties in with UFO sightings. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. even going back to the Abraham Lincoln story of, you know, clock stopping and time shifts, I think it, it took me down a kind of thought process that I wasn't expecting while I was researching the episode. It's very, it is very UFO, and if the whole vehicle isn't present, then is it kind of like, I don't know, some sort of residual energy that, like, maybe a UFO was picked up on, like maybe like a Foo Fighter kind of thing? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, there are some origin stories, um, which include the ghost of a railway worker who was struck and decapitated by a train. I mean, these stories tend to be connected to a number of ghost train sightings all around America and Canada, so I don't think we can take the origin stories too seriously. Right, right. There is a a kind of interesting uh, twist to it because uh, some local 12th grade students claimed to have debunked the mystery as part of a school science project. It was a project they won the top prize at the local science fair for. They managed to replicate the phenomena using distant car headlights. Did they? Yeah, and various kind of reflections going on in the area. Though it must be pointed out that these lights have been seen in the area before cars even existed. Um, And there are also other reports of lights that have been seen in trees nearby that could not be explained by car lights. So their theory kind of worked on one level but not it doesn't explain all the sightings of this phenomena. But even though this... It, I don't think the train tracks are there even anymore. It's just where they used to be that these lights are sighted. So, yeah, I did start thinking, is this more a UFO story than a kind of ghostly train? But it's interesting either way. Yeah, yeah, it is. Good on them, though, for doing a Mythbusters type of thing. Yeah, really good. It's a good school project. Good school project, and I'm glad they they won an award for it because they obviously put a lot of effort in. You know, they were obviously traipsing around this area late at night, getting people to be, like, half a mile away and shining their car headlights. Yeah, yeah. So good on them, yeah. Well, from stories of ghost trains in North America, 
Let's move on to haunted train stations rather than trains and something closer to home for us, Ben. A haunted train station in Leamington Spa. Oh, I love Leamington Spa. I used to have to go there quite a lot for work. Oh. It's a good little train station, that. Oh, so you've been there. I have been there, oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. No, no spooky phenomena for you? No. It's a very awkward little station with a very awkward little car park, but it's a very old station, yeah. Well, in fact, it was built in 1880. It's like you'll see in my script here. Uh, <laughs> it was built in the 1880s, and some of the paranormal activity reported there reminded me of, of Ghostbusters, to be honest. What In what way? Well, in 2013, a worker who was in one of the office buildings at the top of the station was completely freaked out when he witnessed paperwork inexplicably being thrown around the room. Oh, like the library scene. Like the library scene. Mm. Doors were suddenly slamming and lights were switching on and off. Other workers have reported similar phenomenon in the same area of the station. Nice. That does sound very kind of Ghostbusters, it? does, it, it does. Ghostly apparitions have been regularly seen wandering the platforms. Nighttime security guard Stephen Herbert commented, I often see and hear ghosts on both platforms, but from what I have seen, they are nice ghosts and have good energy. (laughs) (laughs) How does he know they're nice ghosts? I don't know. I guess they're not freaking him out, maybe. I suppose. Workers at the station say there is a lot of paranormal activity in a disused basement on platform three. This is weird as well, which has a staircase that seemingly leads to nowhere, which no one can explain. <laughs> That's all. That sounds like the architects maybe... Having bung- a laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a laugh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the hell case, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, people who run the station took the paranormal activity seriously or saw a great opportunity for a bit of publicity, you decide, because what they did next was really weird. In 2014, Leamington Spa employed a supernatural liaison officer. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) They said to monitor the station's ghosts. I can't believe I never saw that job. (laughs) His name was Nick Reese. He volunteered for the role. I don't think he got paid. Ah, okay. But he was titled supernatural liaison officer. He got his own uniform and everything. but <laughs> just a white sheet. <laughs> Again, if you take a look at the YouTube version of the episode at the Quantum Mechanics, we have got some pictures of Nick Reese looking lovely in his uniform. He describes his duties, or he did, I'm not sure if he's still there. He described his duties as checking ghost tickets, ensuring that they don't eat customers' sandwiches... I'm I'm now looking sceptical. <laughs> Directing them to their trains and generally keeping these spooky spectres in check. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in his first week in the role of supernatural liaison officer, Mr. Reese handed out garlic bulbs to passengers just in time for Halloween. Did they actually want him there at the station? He sounds a bit odd. (laughs) He is a bit odd. Some of the photos are quite funny. In front of the signs, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's something like, Ghost, please be respectful to the other passengers on the station. It's something like that. Was this around, like, Halloween? Are they trying to promote Days Away in Castles or something? There's definitely something about it going on. I think the giveaway is when he described his duties as checking ghost tickets, ensuring they don't eat customers' sandwiches, and directed them to trains and generally keeping these spooky spectres in check. That doesn't feel like he's, you know, he's not a full-on serious ghost hunter, is he? No, and presumably not not even an employee of Network Rail. He sounds much more... (laughs) An employee of a PR company. Yeah, I wonder what he does if when they all go out on strike. Um, he, I, he, I don't know. The ghosts probably don't know, so he's probably got to stay there. Yeah, because they're not going to know. They're still going to turn up. Well, they're going to turn up. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, I'd love to know how long he he stayed in that job. For. Yeah, I did try and do a little bit of research, but it, I couldn't find out. So, if anyone out there does know about this. And, uh, well, because this was from 2014, he was employed. So, you know, nine years ago. Love to know if he's still there. Um, 
I'd love to know if you ever met him. Yeah. What he was like. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. And whether he ever gave out any other ingredients. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Day two. Here's some mints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other notable mentions on haunted railway stations include Glen Eden Railway Station in West Auckland, New Zealand. Um, I've got a summary of what goes on here, courtesy of the Paranormal New Zealand website, which I'd never discovered before, but it's quite an interesting website, so do pay it a visit. The Station House uh, is a local historical landmark that was restored in 2001. A cafe is in the old station building. When first opened, one of the station's functions was to service the nearby... Okay, here comes the pronunciation... Waikumeti Cemetery. Sounds good enough. That, well done. So what they did was they ran special trains from Auckland on a Sunday carrying their deceased and their entourage and they even dedicated a platform that was constructed to serve these trains. So these were trains that would take almost like a funeral procession with uh, the coffin and with the mourners all on their own train going to this cemetery, which I think I think that sounds quite nice as a funeral. So that does that sound sounds nice. something special, a nice way of Yeah. If it, if it's how I picture it. Yeah. But I guess that kind of adds to the kind of spooky nature of the station. Commuters at Glen Eden Railway Station are often surprised to see visitors from another realm. Glen Eden cafe workers say it is the ghost of a railway worker called Alex McFarlane a railway porter killed during a tragic accident while working there in the 1920s, that it is haunting the township's refurbished railway station even to this day. Mr McFarland was a tab- tablet porter. I don't know what a tablet porter is. Do you know what a tablet porter is? Um, I don't know. Maybe... No, no, I was just going to no. guess. No, I've no idea. Again, so he was a porter at the station. Um... He died at 5pm on January the 11th, 1924, two hours after losing his balance and slipping between the platforms and an oncoming train. Oh! He practically severed both legs and died a few hours afterwards. Some cafe staff members report seeing the ghost, a man with a grey beard and a trench coat, and others say there is a definite presence there. One incident told by cafe staff was of a man in an old-fashioned top hat entering the cafe asking for a timetable. And when the waitress turned away, he vanished into thin air. I mean, rude as well as paranormal. I like them in a top hat, though. I do too. (laughs) Another staff member has seen a ghost's face watching her through the window. But all the workers agree he's a friendly soul. That's quite cool. Um, it, so these are contemporary accounts. These are modernish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was refurbished in two thousand and one, so all these oh, okay. sightings so have happened since then. I'd like to go there now. Yeah, that, and uh, I love. I still like that idea of a kind of. It almost ties in, doesn't it, with the uh, with the story that we did right at the start about Abe Lincoln, this idea of yes. a funeral procession on a train. I'd never heard about that before doing this episode. No. Staying down under, Australia's most haunted train station is said to be Macquarie Fields train station. And according to news.com.au, late at night when the final trains have stopped running a blood-spattered ghost is said to emerge at this Aussie train station. Ooh, blood-spattered. That's not good. A number of ghost-hunting websites have speculated that the Sydney station is home to the ghost of a crying teenage girl who is splattered in blood. They say that after the last train departs, which is usually around 12.30am, the translucent girl will appear with dark splattering of blood covering her front. One paranormal website, Urban Ghost, says some say they've seen her shrieking in terror at some unknown site, while others have reported that she simply sits in the middle of the tracks and cries and cries. Oh. Yeah, that would be disturbing to see. It would. A number of other sites specialising in ghost hunting have claimed that she does indeed exist. 
The Sydney Spirit Stalkers. That's a good name for a <laughs> it is. for a paranormal outfit, isn't it? Um, who it says stalk the paranormal, which, of course, which sounds a bit kind of you know <laughs> intrusive to me. Yes, it's a little handsy, but yes. They say the ghost moans and groans and can be heard when the station is nearly empty. The site says someone has once reported that they swear they saw a young girl wearing dancing clothes covered in what looked like to be blood in her chest area and she was clutching at her chest. She lurks around the station moaning and groaning. She also sits in the middle of the station and just stares and cries. No one has reported any violence or harm being done by the ghost. I always find those things much more disturbing. They sound more like residual as well. Yeah, yeah, or what, almost like some kind of stone tape thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, there's no detail of a backstory for that, but, you know, sometimes those backstories, I think, often detract from the sightings. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping on my journey, Ben, when I started this train thing what i really wanted was a story when a bit like uh disappearing gas station or cafes where somebody had got on a ghost train without knowing oh yeah and i did a lot of searching and i initially drew a blank until ben i came across this tale first published in the nashville american newspaper on September the 11th, 1898, and it was titled A Ghost Train. Now, the story was told by a station master who recalls his bizarre and chilling encounter on a railway line that was all but closed down due to a new tunnel being built. Now, this story was quite long and detailed, to be honest, so I've shortened it a bit. The station master's encounter happened on this rarely used line. So after the tunnel was vi- was finished, there was only one passenger train each way daily on the old line and a freight train three times a week. This is where the person who's telling the story picks it up. He says, I had a brother who lived at Manlius, a town on the old line, about 70 miles from here, and I had two days leave. I took the train up to see my brother. It was just about a year after the new line had been opened and as the company meant to abandon the old line they hadn't put any repairs on it worth speaking of and it was about the roughest road you've ever travelled on. I think he means road as in railway. Oh, railroad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There had been a terrible bad accident on that very road just before the expresses quit running over it. A train with a Pullman car full of passengers went off the track just as she had struck a bridge over the Muscoot River. I love that. The Muscoot River. It's a good name, isn't it? And as the bridge was over 60 feet high and the river was over 20 feet deep, nobody ever saw hide or hair of that train or of anybody connected with it from that day on. Well, I got to my brother's and found him gone away and the house locked up. I hammered on the doors and tried the windows till I had to settle that there wasn't anyone at home and that I couldn't break in. So then I meandered back to the station, calculating to pass the night in the woodshed and take the train back to Jericho the next day. It had been snowing hard and there was near a foot of snow on a level, let alone the big drifts that were here and there. I got to the station, which of course was shut up for the night, And if it hadn't been that I had a quart flask of whiskey in my pocket, I should have come near freezing to death. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those were the days. Different times. Different times. I went into the woodshed and got round behind the wood, where the wind couldn't reach me. And after cussing my brother for a spell on the account of his having gone off and shut up his house, I made preparations for taking a nap. Just then, I heard the rumble of a train. This naturally astonished me, knowing as I did exactly what trains were running on the road and that there wasn't any sort of train due at that station for the next 15 hours. However, the train kept coming, nearer and nearer, and pretty soon I heard the grinding of the brakes and understood that the train was coming to a stop. I didn't lose any time. 
in getting out of that woodshed and going for that train. When I reached her, I saw that the train consisted only of a baggage car and a Pullman sleeper. So that's one of those sleeper trains, right? Mm. Love to do that. Have you ever done that? Uh, I have. I've done it across Europe, yes. Is it as romantic as it sounds? Uh, no. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a little bit weird when you wake up going through the German countryside in your pyjamas and you have a curryverse for breakfast. But other than that... It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So anyway, back to the story. He sees this train and there's basically a baggage car and a sleeper train, sleeper carriage. I swung myself up on the rear of the platform of the sleeper and pushed the door open with a good deal of trouble, for the woodwork seemed to have swelled, and there wasn't anybody to help me from the inside of the car. When I got inside, I looked around for the passengers, but there wasn't a single one. Neither was there any sign of the porter, who also had been there to ask me for my ticket. The car was lit up after a fashion by a single oil lamp, and all the berths looked as if the passengers had just jumped out of them, and the porter hadn't been round to make up their beds. Huh. I picked out a good berth and calculated to turn in for the night. I soon found that those berths weren't fit for any Christian to sleep in, for the bedclothes were as damp as if they had been left out in a rainstorm. Where the water had come from that had soaked them I couldn't imagine, for it hadn't rained for any for a week, and it stood to reason that the snow couldn't have drifted into the car, shut up tight as it was. Then it puzzled me to imagine why the porter hadn't taken the wet clothes away. The whole business was enough to throw a man off his balance, and I gave up thinking about it, and going into the washroom, I sat down in the wash basin, which was the only dry seat in the car, and leaned up against the corner trying to get a nap. By this time, the train had left the station several miles behind and was running at a rate that I knew would have been risky on any road, let alone as rough a road as the one we were on. First, I didn't mind this, the running of the train not being my business, but pretty soon I found that I couldn't keep in my seat without holding on with both hands. I've been in cars that have done some pretty tall running and over some mighty rough roads, but I never before or since knew a car to jump and roll and shake herself generally as this car did. I began to think that the engineer was either drunk or crazy, and maybe the passengers had got scared that they'd left the train. To tell the truth, I would have been glad to have left the train myself, but I've n <laughs> I love this bit. But I never was fond of jumping, and if there's any man who says that he likes to jump from a train that's doing 40 or 50 miles an hour, why, I just don't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm with him. I agree. Um, he says, all of a sudden I thought of the bell cord and I decided that I would pull it to stop the train. So I get hold of the bell cord and gave it a fairish sort of pull. Not the very hardest sort of pull, you understand, but just a moderate pull. The cord broke in my hand, as easy as if it had been a piece of thread, and all chance of stopping the train that way disappeared. I looked at the bell cord and see it, saw it was as rotten as a politician's conscience. <laughs> wow, similar times. <laughs> yeah. So I just broke off a piece of it, about two or three yards long, and put it in my pocket, intending to show it to the division superintendent of a specimen of the way in which the Pullman car conductors attended to their business. All the time, the train was rushing ahead at a speed that would have been counted worth noticing even on the New York Central line. When we struck a curve, and there were lots of them, she just left the track entirely and swung round that curve with her wheels in the air. And when we did strike the track again, you can bet the thing shook. Of course, I don't mean the train actually did leave the track, but that was the way it would have seemed to you if you'd been aboard this car. I felt confident that in a few minutes more the car would leave the track and go to everlasting smash. But then I just thought of the brake. If I should go out on the platform and put the brake on, the engineer would feel the drag of the car and would stop the train, unless he was stark mad. At any rate, the thing was worth trying. I got out on the platform, hanging on for all I was worth to the handrail, until I got hold of the brake wheel. It was rusty, as if it had been soaking in water for weeks, but I didn't mind that, 
I jam that brake down good and hard, but the brake chain snaps almost as easily as the bell cord, and that was the end of the plan for stopping the train. Of course, I knew that a brake chain sometimes snaps, and you can't prevent that, but it was curious that both bell cord and brake chain on that car should have been good for nothing. Well, I got back into the car again and I took a middling good drink of whiskey and it sort of warmed up my courage. I couldn't explain our flying round curves and over level crossings without sounding the whistle, except on the theory that the engineer had dropped dead in his cab. But then there would have been the fireman. Both the men couldn't very well have died at the same minute and if there was anything the matter with the engineer, the fireman, the fireman would naturally either have stopped the train or tried to get help or you'd have run it out very cautiously. Nor hearing the whistle was, on the whole, more astonishing to me than finding a Pullman car without a passenger or without a porter, and with the bedclothes soaked in water and the bell cord almost too rotten to bear its own weight. There wasn't a thing to be seen through the car windows because they were thick with dirt, so I wanted to get some idea of the locality that we had got to, I went on the rear platform again and getting down on the lower step, I leaned out to have a look all around. Just then, we started around another curve, and with my fingers being a little numb, and what with the swaying of the car, I lost my hold, and was shot off the train like a mailbag that is chucked on a platform when the Pacific Express goes booming by. Luckily, I fell into a snowbank and wasn't seriously hurt. However, the shock stunned me for a while, and when I came to, I found that I had no bones broken and that my skull was all right. I picked myself up and started walking down the track till I should come to a house. After walking as I should judge about half a mile, I came to East Fabiusville, where there was a little tavern and mighty glad I was to see it. I knocked the landlord up, got a bed, and it was noon the next day before I woke up. There wasn't any train to Jericho until after three o'clock, so not having anything to do, I looked up at the landlord and found that he was an old acquaintance of mine by the name of Hank Simmons. When I told him that I'd come to Fabiusville by night train, he sort of smiled, and I could see he didn't believe me. I, don't di I didn't say the train stopped here, I said, for the last I saw of it was a mile or so up the road, where I fell off the rear platform into a snowbank. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's arguing his case. Right? He is. He yeah, is. you've got to give him that. But all the same, I did come most of the way from Milius last night in a Pullman sleeper. Then you must have come on what the boys call the ghost train, says Hank. What train's that, say I? Why, it's the ghost of the train that went off the bridge at the Muskahoot River. The boys do say that every once in a while there is a train made up of a locomotive a baggage car and a Pullman sleeper that comes down the road a-hustling and goes off the Muskahoot Bridge into the river. He had a lucky escape then. That sounded... He just got off in time by the sounds of it. I never saw no such train myself, but there's a lot of folks living around this road that have seen it, and you'd have hard work to convince them that it isn't the ghost of that wrecked train. Come to think of it, that there train was wrecked just a year ago last night, and it's probably that her ghost was out for an airing, as you might say. It explains the dampness. It explains the dampness, doesn't it, the wet? Well, when I came to think it over, I came to the conclusion that Hank was right, and that the Pullman, with the wet bedclothes and the rotten bell cord, was nothing more or less than the ghost of that car. So, Ben, this station master did tell his superintendent the whole story... What do you think his superintendent said? Show me the cord in your pocket. Well, he didn't say that. He he basically assumed that this guy was drunk and was having a drunken dream and was going to fire him. <laughs> but it was his day off, so they couldn't really fire him for basically having this encounter in his own time. No. I mean, he was also drinking a quarter of whiskey. Yeah. But the station master had two bits of evidence that were hard to dismiss. Firstly, how did he travel all that way on a railroad track in the snow that had no trains running? And secondly, as you said, he still had the piece of broken cord in his pocket. He did, okay. 
The last time that type of cord was used on a train was on the one that plunged off the bridge and disappeared into the Muscahoot River. That's a good story. Yeah. So, so that was from a paper in 1898. Uh, I think there's probably a little bit of embellishment going on. It's always one of those where they all seem to uh-huh. have all the perfect elements. But I thought it was a good story, nonetheless. It's a great story. And it was passed off as true. Passed off as true, yeah. And which paper? Yeah, the story was first published in the Nashville American newspaper titled A Ghost Train. Um, you know in America where they hold all uh, like works and papers in the uh, National Archive of Records? Yes. You can go and read it there. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's not it's not some kind of just some tale that you know, bit of early creepy pasta that somebody's made up. It was reported. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. no, it was reported in the paper, and you can still see the oh, original. That's amazing. Piece of work. Yeah, I rode a ghost train. Yeah, I'd love to know whether that guy did any. I mean, today he'd be on our show. Yeah, he'd be on <laughs> he'd, everything. He'd yeah. be on Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it. This was published a while after it happened. He didn't. Apparently, he only told one or two people, other railroad workers, because people didn't believe him. Um, but yeah, he told uh, he told someone who had started working on the station who'd seen something spooky on the lines, and then basically said, "Oh well, I've got my own story," and that's how it kind of came to light. That is a brilliant story. Um. I'd love to know, like, my question, of course, is how, if it's a phantom, does he get to keep part of the phantom? Yeah, that's always the one, isn't it? And we've had a few kind of stories like that. We have. There are little pieces that people have still got. Those little bits, for me, always feel a bit embellished because it just seems too convenient. You know what I mean? Aha, but I've got the, you know... I mean, even the excuse of I put it in my pocket so I could basically tell my superintendent how badly they were looking after the trains was, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, I like the idea that the train was going too fast. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know, like, whether that was reported around the incident that the train was supposed to have been involved in. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think uh yeah, I think obviously that the hint in the story because what what happened is that train track was no longer being used because they built a tunnel. So I think it wasn't being particularly well maintained even when the accident happened a year earlier. So yeah, that's the implication that it was going too fast on tracks that weren't maintained properly. Cuz it could be a um you know, it could be construed as a cautionary tale, but there's more to it than that. I really like that. I really like that. Yeah, it's it's a cute story, and certainly for the time, it's really well written, I think. Very convenient that he goes out the back and gets thrown off. Yeah, just before they hit the bridge. Just before they hit the bridge. No, it, nice, though. It would be, it'd be one of those nice, uh, almost... Um, you know when you get those uh, montage films like the Twilight Zone and stuff like that, which have little... Yeah. I can't, there's a name for them. I can't remember the name of those movies, but those little kind of ones that have four or five horror shorts in that are connected in one way. Yes. That'd be a good one for that, I think. Oh, it really would, yeah, yeah. You could see Spielberg doing something great with that. Oh, certainly, yeah. certainly. And uh, it makes me think about um, the Coca-Cola train that always comes at Christmas. Oh, yeah, and the... <laughs> yes, and the... the, the, the the lorry as well. The lorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. That must be, they must, uh, thinking about it, certainly in the UK and America, that must be one of the only ads that is repeated every year, like for the last 20 odd years, right? Oh, I would think so, yes. And it doesn't change, right? I'm sure they may have kind of done little changes. No, it doesn't it. change, no, no. Love it. No. Well, I was just going to say, I wonder whether that train was like a tulpa of the Coke train, but it's, a, it's the wrong time period. It's <laughs> yeah. the wrong time period. Absolutely brilliant. I love spooky trains. I think it's fascinating. Oh, I just, there's something 
there's something romantic about it there's something like i said there's something claustrophobic about it and and i guess the other thing is that i like about trains apart from the fact they're moving is they're often going through places that people don't really go or travel too much do you know what i mean they're there's something unique about them cutting this swathe through wilderness in a way. Yeah, yeah. Especially with that tale where it's a kind of snowy encounter as well. It's just, there's something amazing about it. I think you're right. There is a certain, there's a feeling, I don't know if you've ever been on like a mountain train in the Alps. Yeah. And it's snowing all around, but for some reason you're inside eating hot soup with a glass of wine. It feels an impossible scenario, but... Um, it's magical. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like I said, the other thing that struck me were, especially with the early stories, was some of those similarities between some of the phenomena and uh, UFO encounters, which I'd never really come across that before. Yeah, and it reminds me of the brown mountain lights, which we must... Yes, do at some point. Do at some point, Yeah, that, definitely. that sounds similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice, okay, thank you. Well, um, Leamington Spa Station, I've got to check out, what was his name, Nick? Uh, Nick Reese, I think his name. Nick Reese, okay. Yeah, anybody knows him, or I, I, I could have phoned him up before the show. Should have done that, really. Well, he's probably he's probably doing something else now. Yeah, yeah. They'd have thought I was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is Nick there? <laughs> is it, I've got some garlic. Yeah. I owe him some garlic. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, um, we've been around the world on a big train journey. We have. And speaking of journeys, uh, next week we're not in the studio. Oh, yes, we're out and about. Aren't we're we? out and about. If all goes according to plan. Yes. Um, and we'll be with James from The Lawmen again. Are we going to tease it or are we going to leave it as a. Uh, let's surprise everyone. Let's surprise. We're going to do. We're going to be somewhere and <laughs> we're going to do some things that are completely random and not connected with where we're going to be, but it will become clear, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right we're going to number 10 Downing Street dressed as clowns yeah oh no that that's is connected that's what you've done yes <laughs> alrighty well, brilliant thank you good well keep your um, well like I said we've had some uh, TQM Tulpa Project Sherlock Holmes stuff from you uh, we won't mention those this week because uh, yeah because we had the one right at the start but we'll we'll keep mentioning them and we'll keep collating them please 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 keep telling us any Sherlock experiences that you have and keep thinking Sherlock as well always think Sherlock yeah cool we'll see you next time all right take care bye 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 the quantum mechanics